All right. Well, hey, good evening, everyone. How we doing? Good. All right. Hey, my name is Scott Kadersha, and I get the privilege of serving on staff here in the marriage ministry. We've been at Watermark since 2002 and on staff since 2006. I've been involved in marriage ministry the whole time. My wife is not able to be here with me tonight or with us tonight, but I'm going to talk with you tonight about something that is part of the re-engage curriculum. Uh, I don't know if I remember ever really hearing a talk about this topic. It's called emotional intimacy. I'm a highly emotional guy, so it kind of works well for me to do it. Uh, typically in a marriage, the woman is a little more emotional and the guy is a little bit more stable, is not the right word, maybe emotionally steady. In our marriage, my wife is the steady, stable one. I'm the unstable, emotionally dramatic one, and so I get the privilege of talking to you about emotional intimacy. So speaking of my wife, uh, we have been married 16 years, four boys, twins in the middle that are 13, and then two others that are uh, almost 11 and almost nine. Uh, very, very busy, loud, stinky home that I get to be a part of. Um, and that's, that's uh, with the kids as well, not just me. Um, and I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of my family growing up. It fits in, so if you, <laughs> it doesn't look like me, but I promise the, the tall guy with the Q-tip hair on the top, that is me. Uh, I used to have a very full head of, uh, I really had an afro, in fact, I should have brought the afro mullet picture where I had the afro up top and, a, and, a, and an afro mullet in the back. It was pretty awesome. And then I got married and had kids and started doing ministry and it all fell out very quickly. One brother rocking that amazing uh, Bill Cosby 80s sweater. And then that is my mom in the middle and my stepdad. So my stepdad, uh, my, my, my dad died when I was six years old. Mom remarried when I was nine or 10 and uh, grew up with my stepdad for, as my dad uh, for 30 something years, 32, 33 years. We call him Mick. And so I'm gonna tell you a story about Mick. Uh, his real name is Bob, but we always called him Mick. That was our affectionate name for him. Uh, my stepdad, Mick, Bob passed away on March 4th of this year. And it's still sometimes hard for me to talk about. He raised me had an incredible impact on me, was, uh, was an amazing, amazing stepdad to me. All except for, for one story, that, uh, not just one story, but this is probably the one where I'm like, you're not a good dad, you're a jerk. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. So there's the last good picture. My mom and dad, they came and visited. We went to Village Burger Bar and it's a, I love that picture. He had Alzheimer's and a very, very sad uh, last couple of years. And so that's the, kind of the last time I saw him smile in a really sweet picture. And so that's, I try to leave that as my memory of my dad. Well, he worked as a sporting goods rep, which essentially meant that he worked as a middleman between companies like Nike, Rawlings, Easton Baseball Bats, Under Armour, and sporting goods stores. So think of like Dick's, Sports Authority, Academy, something like that. And so essentially what would happen is that a company would come up with a new product, my dad would represent it, and try to sell it to those stores. And so, uh, it, you know, think of like a new baseball bat comes out or a new model glove or a new kind of basketball. And so it was kind of a cool deal. We always had sports equipment in our house growing up. Samples were sent to us. That was a cool part of the job. The other cool part of the job for me is that my dad would go to these sporting goods shows. And so at a sporting goods show, think of like a giant convention with a really big exhibition hall. Row after row after row of different stores, different vendors, all like advertising the newest and latest and greatest product. And so like you'd go there, you'd see the newest style of this and the newest style of that. And, and the cool part 
is that they would get famous athletes to represent them. And so almost like, imagine if that happened now, that Under Armour is there and they've got Steph Curry modeling the latest shoe for Under Armour. Or LeBron James is there and he's modeling the latest and greatest Nike wear, the greatest new basketball from Nike, whatever it might be. So back in the 80s, they had these shows and it wasn't Steph Curry, it wasn't LeBron James, it was the best of the best athletes in every sport in the 80s. And so a lot of you won't even know the names. I don't remember some of them, but back in the day, they were like the greatest athletes in their sport. And so Marvin Hagler was a boxer. There were, um, Jim Palmer was a baseball player. And, and my dad would go to these shows and he would come home with a stack of autographs for me. There would be pictures, there would be you know, little pieces of loose leaf paper, index cards, all signed by these athletes. And they would say things like, throw the picture up there of Pete Rose, you know, would say, you know, to Scott, Thought you might enjoy this. Best wishes, Pete Rose. Now, don't think Pete Rose of, of 2017. Now, there's all kinds of baggage on him. But back in the 80s, Pete Rose was the greatest hitter, not of all time, but the greatest hitter of the 80s. And he, you know, Pete Rose picked this thing out of the Philadelphia Inquirer. I grew up in Philadelphia. And it was a baseball preview. And he picked that up. And he wrote a note and signed it and gave it to me. I have other ones, in, and don't judge me, I have a scrapbook filled. I'm, I know dudes don't scrapbook, but I did. Just in my, but it was like manly things with autographs. And, uh, and it's filled with autographs all to me. Hey, Scott, I hope you do well playing first base this Saturday. Hit a home run, and I hope you guys beat the Giants. Signs, you know, the greatest third baseman in the history of the game. All these autographs. Well, you know, I'm thinking a couple years ago, I've got four boys that I need to send to college someday. I work at a church and, and I don't miss a meal and you know, I've got a car that runs and, you know, and our house is fine. I don't have enough money for four kids to go to college. And so I'm doing the math, what am I gonna do? You know, I'm not, I can't do anything else other than pastor and you know, there's only so much that I have time to do. Oh, wait, I've got an autograph book, a scrapbook filled with invaluable signatures from the greatest, 80s of the, uh, greatest athletes of the 80s. Maybe I can sell those. Maybe that goes a little ways. And so I'm looking through there, looking at all the autographs and thinking, this is my future right here. I start looking through them and I realize they all look the same. Every single one of them. Okay. So maybe I missed it, you know, maybe I was just a little too optimistic. Maybe I was just a young kid who thought, my dad would never lie to me that way. But he did, God rest his soul. And so he, uh, you know, so he faked every one of them. <laughs> I'm glad that you can laugh at my pain, okay? So, so I no longer have my college kids, kids paid for for my college. Now I've got a First of all, I've still got a scrapbook you know, as a dude, okay? And it's filled with, with autographs from my dad on pictures of guys wearing no shirts, okay? There's a boxer with no shirt with my dad's signature on it signed by somebody else. It's absolutely worthless and inauthentic. And it becomes a great object lesson now for me to remember the value of inauthenticity. Absolutely worthless, Okay, we're, we're people who want real, we want authentic, we want intimacy and relationships, we want things to be legitimate and real. We don't like fake, we don't like uh, forgeries, and I've got a scrapbook filled with forgeries that's worthless. We have relationships that are filled with forgeries that are worthless, and unfortunately, every single one of us, because of the fall, our relationships are also filled with fake 
and forgery. But we want real. God designed our marriage to be real. God didn't design it to be fake like that, but to be real and genuine. The marriage relationship for every single one of us, if you are married and you are, you're in this room, married people, we're intended to be one flesh, to be intimate emotionally with one another. And when I use those words, you know, intimacy means to, to know and be fully known without fear of rejection. It means that there's a level of real that we're intended to have with one another as husband and wife. And it's the way that God designed it. If you look, and we're not gonna read the whole passage, but Genesis 2, which you have heard many times, I've heard many times, whenever I read a passage that's very familiar, I always try to hear it as if it's for the first time. And so I wanna encourage you to do that as well. Genesis 2 says, the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. And so, you know, the man is in the garden, he's tending the garden, and, and God says, name the animals, and he sees two elephants and two zebras and two llamas and two possums even, I, possi, I don't know what they're called, I just wish they weren't there. There's two of all of them, but there's only one guy. Nobody else like him. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so he named the creatures as they went by. It says that he falls into a deep sleep, that God puts him to sleep, and he takes a rib from his side, and he fashions a woman out of it. And when the man wakes up from his deep sleep, he looks up and sees someone that looks a lot like him but is different than him as well. She's got body parts that are different than his, but their bodies look like they fit and things are gonna work just fine. And he says, there is bone in my bone and flesh in my flesh. The next verse says, now a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one. And then it says this, some of the greatest words I think in the whole Bible. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, our flesh immediately probably goes to the fact that they were physically naked and there was no shame. I don't know what that's like. Okay, I look at myself in the mirror and I am filled with shame. It's too round here and too hairy there and things are not intended to be like they are and, you know, and there's no hair here and, and my wife does the same thing. My wife is the most beautiful creature I've ever seen in my life. But she'll stand in front of a mirror and say things are not as they intended to be. It's too big, it's too small, it's not right. We live in this, in this uh, insecurity where we live with a great amount of shame. And what this passage says, it's not just they're physically naked without shame, but they're emotionally naked as well. Meaning that they're able to keep it real with one another. They're able to be honest about insecurities, about fears, about troubles. They're able to be completely honest with each other. They're naked physically, they're naked emotionally. It's the way God intended it to be. And then a few verses later, we all know what happens. The, the, uh, the woman is deceived. She eats a piece of fruit and the spineless husband is with her and he eats it as well. And then in some of the saddest words in the Bible in Genesis 3, 7, it says, then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. They've been naked all along, but all of a sudden they eat the fruit and they realize now that they're naked. And so they have to clothe themselves. They made fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. I wasn't there, I can't tell you, by firsthand account, but my assumption was even though that they saw the fruit with their eyes, they grabbed it with their hands, they ate it with their mouth, they probably did not cover up their hands, their mouth, their eyes. They probably covered up the things that were different. And so she's covering like this and he's covering like that. They cover up the things that are different physically and we do the same things. We wear clothes to cover up the things that are different that should be covered 
but we also are cover ourselves emotionally, relationally, and anything that's different that we don't want others to see. Most of my Wednesday nights, I don't spend in re-engage, I spend in a room right over there across the hall at Merge, which is our premarital ministry, and that room is filled with young couples who cover themselves everywhere. They're terrified of losing their significant other, and so they let them see some parts of their life, but they cover everything else. They don't talk about their past, they don't talk about their fears, they don't talk about their hurts, they don't talk about their struggles, because if you knew what was really going on, you might not marry me. The problem is, is that doesn't end at merge. The problem is, is that we continue the hiding into married life. And we're intended to be naked without shame with one another. But at the fall and every day moving forward, emotional intimacy is lost. And this is something we just don't talk about a lot. Okay, I've said it before that to be intimate means to know and to be fully known without fear of rejection. We are terrified of being rejected. It's much, much easier for us to know someone else than to allow ourselves to be known. Okay, I'm, I'm an absolute mess. Okay, I've been on church staff for 11 years now and there are some things about me that just have not gone away. Okay, and I'll let you see some of it, but I don't want you to see all of it. I'm insecure and afraid. But God creates one relationship, the marriage relationship, where we're intended to be emotionally intimate with one another. And it's so sad, it breaks my heart that we don't get to experience this like God intends. I fully believe that in heaven we'll be able to experience that intimacy as God desires, as we want and long for. But on this side of heaven, we're all lacking, we're all missing it. And so I I really hope that you guys see, and just in the last few minutes we have together, of the importance of this and what you can do to help you get there. I would fully submit to every one of you as couples that if you wanna grow in your marriage, wherever you are, if you're a one out of 10, if you're a nine out of 10, if you wanna keep growing in your marriage, you've got to learn how to be emotionally intimate with one another. There are typically two problems when it comes to emotional intimacy. One is that we don't know how to be that way. Okay, we don't know how to identify the feelings. We don't know how to uh, put words on it. A lot of guys, especially not to stereotype, but guys typically, we have trouble expressing our feelings And so I might suggest that, you know, an easy way to start is just start by saying something like, I feel hungry. I feel tired. Okay, just start easy like that. And then then it will come. But we've got to be able to be able to express what's going on, where our insecurities are, where our fears are. And typically we just want to push through them and we don't want to identify them. We don't want to confess them or share them with one another but God has intended that we would be emotionally intimate, that we would be naked without shame. And so the first question that I would want you to ask when it comes to emotional intimacy is do I know how to be emotionally intimate? And so put words on those feelings. Take some time to communicate. We're so busy, we're so overloaded with stuff to do that we don't take the time to sit down with one another and create space and create opportunities for us to experience emotional intimacy as God intends. It's harder to be known than to know, as I said. And so identify where are areas that you feel insecure, where are areas that you feel anxious. And start small. If you don't feel safe with your significant other, start small. Just some way that you can grow in being more emotionally intimate of being naked without shame. 
The other side is that you've got to create a safe place for your significant other, for your spouse. And so do I create a safe place for emotional intimacy? Do I allow my spouse to share, to confess, to tell me what's going on, to tell me where Kristen is anxious or insecure or troubled or afraid? Do I allow her to share parts of her past? Do I allow her to share where she's struggling right now? Do I allow her to share what she hopes for in the future? Or do I just shut her down? Do I close the door? Do I create an unsafe environment in our marriage? Okay, for, for me, my biggest area of struggle is eating and food addiction. It is the thing that wears me out every single day of my life. It's not just every single day, it's every single moment of every day that I walk by food or think about food. My office on the eighth floor of the Watermark Tower is about 10 steps away from the kitchen. I call it the den of sin. There is always food in that room. Pizza, candy, donuts, leftover this and that, and it is a struggle every time I walk by that room. Every time I go to a meal, I have to struggle between wanting to eat more and more and more and get seconds and thirds. It's a battle I face all the time. Now, my wife knows that because we are emotionally intimate with one another. She knows that's my battle, and so she is part of my accountability and part of my help. She's not the only one, but she is part of the team that helps me try to make good decisions with food. And so I need to learn how to create a safe place for Kristen to help me. And so this is what it looks like. This is what not creating a safe place looks like. We go to a great restaurant called Super Chicks. Anyone been there? Okay, you need to go. There's a couple of them now. And uh, we typically, like the, the kids meal, for $4.99, you can get two chicken strips, fried, of course. You can get them grilled, but what's the point? Uh, fries, <laughs> a drink, and custard. Whew, getting hot in here. Okay, and so that, that is for $4.99. Now you can go up to, the, to the, um, the, the man or woman working at the counter and you say, I'm not a kid, but can I get the kid's meal? They typically say, sure, if you act like a kid, you can get the kid's meal. And so my four kids will go there. It's a great place for a dad of, of four to go and feed his kids affordably. And so our, my four kids get the kid's meal. Kristen will get the kid's meal. What I will do on the way over there is that I will tell Kristen, when I go to Super Chicks with you, please do not let me get the kid's meal. It's good stewardship, but it's not good for me. Instead, I'd like to get the incredible, sexy, exciting, fresh green, sliced up daily, made to order, the house salad with chicken. And so will you please help me, because I need your help, get the salad and not the kid's meal. And so we get up there and the four kids run up there and they get their kid's meal. Kristen goes up, get the kid's meal and I go up there and I say, I'll take the fried avocado sandwich, fries and a medium-sized custard. Kristen looks at me, says, what happened to the salad? And I essentially, I'm not, don't say like this, but I basically say, hey woman, you're not my mom. I'm gonna get what I wanna eat and I'm paying for it, okay? That's not how I say it, but essentially I back her down every time. Say, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm trying to be a good steward and the salad's too expensive. And I shut her down so often. And so I'm trying to create a safe place. I'm trying to allow my wife to help me and to create emotional intimacy, but I shut her down. And we do it all the time in marriage. So what are you doing to learn how to express how you're doing and how you're feeling? Do you know how to be emotionally intimate? And do you create a safe place in your marriage so that you can grow in emotional intimacy? 
Guys, if you're gonna grow and re-engage, you've got to get to this place where you can be naked without shame. And I might even tell you, don't just, you know, if you're insecure about the clothes thing, be fully clothed and get to the point where you can share what's going on. There is something so beautiful and so right about me being able to sit down with my wife and tell her what my dreams are for the future. I wanna have a great impact in my kids. I wanna write a book. I wanna have an impact here at Watermark. I wanna raise four boys who, who love Jesus. I wanna do something with my life that counts. Okay, that's the future. I'm struggling big time with lust or anger or eating. Kristen, can you help me? Can you pray for me? There's something terrifying about in that moment telling my wife what I'm really struggling with because we're not used to being emotionally intimate, but God desires that we would get to that place. And for the men in the room, I'm not trying to turn you into emotional creatures if you're not one. I'm just trying to get you to do what God wants you to do. He wants you to be naked without shame. And so the two questions, one, do you know how to be emotionally intimate? And are you creating a safe place in your marriage to be emotionally intimate with one another? Now, I'm a big TV fan. I'm gonna leave you with this. There's a show that's called This Is Us. Anyone? Okay, spoiler alert. Uh, this is from last week's episode. There's this incredible scene that I think demonstrates this so well. And so if you're an episode behind... I'm sorry, just put your fingers in your ears. And so there's the main characters, Jack and Rebecca, and the story, they've got this great, you know, really fun relationship you follow. And then at the end of last season, they actually get separated. And so they're having some marriage problems. And so Jack moves out, Rebecca is in the home with her kids. The first episode of this season, Rebecca goes over to Jack's house and apologizes. She says, I never should have kicked you out of the house. I kid you not, I would have shown the clip but I would be, I told you I'm emotional, I'd be a basket case. And so I'm gonna read it instead of showing it to you. And so they're separated and she says, I want you to come home, I never should have let you go. And he, and he says to her with slurred words, he says, Rebecca, there's some things you don't know about me. She says, no, I, I know everything about you. He says, you don't know everything. I'm drunk right now. I've been drunk all day. I've been drunk for weeks. I have a problem and I've hidden it from you for a very long time. I'm very embarrassed and I'm very sorry. I need to fix this on my own. And just dramatic scene, he shuts the door on her face. The scene goes black and you think, this is terrible. This is not what it's intended to be. And then she knocks on the door. The tears are like rolling at this point. She knocks on the door, he opens it up and she's there still. She says, that's not what we do. That's not who we are. That's not us. You are my husband and I am your wife. If you have a problem, then we'll fix it together. That's what I want, right? For my wife to look at me and say, I am your wife. You are my husband. If you have a problem, then we're gonna fix this thing together. So you gotta be a team, right? You've got to be one with each other. You've got to be emotionally intimate. If you are going to, to keep going and re-engage, you've got to have that mentality. And, and what I love about it, I hate that like I'm learning from secular TV, right? But, but it's a beautiful picture of marriage. It's not her. She very easily could have said, you stupid drunk, you have messed this thing up. Instead, she says, that's our problem that we're going to work on together. 
That's confessing, that's being willing to be naked without shame. That's emotional intimacy. And so I wanna challenge you guys to pursue that, to do what you need to do, to be known, to be fully known without fear of rejection. And so do you know how to be emotionally intimate? Do you create a safe place for your spouse? Are you fully known? Do you seek to fully know your spouse? When they share, do you reject them or do you create a safe place? More and more every day, I want to be naked without shame with my wife and I hope the same for you. It's the way God loves us and it's what he desires for us in marriage. So God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how beautifully you lay out marriage. That you seek uh, oneness, uh, just intimacy with us and you desire that we would be one in marriage. So God, I pray for every one of us in here, man or woman, that we would seek to be people who are naked without shame. Help us to deal with our insecurities, our fears. Help us to confess and share. God, I pray that we'd be a team as we work together in oneness. Thank you for re-engaging what you're doing and for the safe place for every couple in this room to work on their marriage. We love you, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.